0: a great blessing just from me to you my friend. I've been praying for your wrists to heal and it's wonderful to see you serving and worshiping the Lord the way your heart desires and playing the piano this morning. So thank you for that and thank the Lord for healing you enough so far where you can uh, again uh, participate together. Uh, Thank you for being here this morning. We're looking forward to a great time of fellowship, all of us together at the picnic this evening. And as already been mentioned, hope you're able to to make that. We want to say so long. We'll do so in a more formal sense next week with students and teachers. But for those of you who won't be here next week, we want to say so long to our students who are headed back to school. And uh, uh, just by raise of hand, don't stand. How many of you are headed back this week before next week? All right, one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, eight of you. We love you. We assure you of our prayers. Next week, we'll have a formal time with students and teachers in our morning service. But uh hope to see you afterwards to to give our own personal uh, so longs to, to all of you. And please remember, we have a baptism coming up, God willing, in September. If you've recently been saved, I think this is probably the equal to... Uh, the most number of saved, newly saved people in the course of a year that I've ever seen in my years here at Grace. Amen. We pray that uh, God continues to give us more and more as Pastor Steve prayed earlier. But if you've been saved and love to follow the Lord in obedience and baptism, uh, let us know as pastors. We'd love to talk to you uh, about that opportunity for you to obey this first step of obedience uh, together. All right, let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in uh, this morning to our text. Father in heaven, we love you. We need your help this morning as we look into the perfect law of liberty. Help us to be not just faithful hearers, but understand how to be faithful doers of your word that we might know what it means to be blessed in our deeds as we seek to to live for you. Um, You really, Lord, are the, the focus of every Bible text, and this morning we we look to see and learn of the person of your son in this greatest of narratives within the book of John help us lord to apply to our lives that which jesus lived in his own to our best of our practical spirit-filled ability as we examine these verses together in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's read the first 16 verses of John chapter 11 together. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, who wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, "The sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the, the Jews were just Now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, who was called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go so that we may die with him. We examined last week in a partial setup of this text as we enjoyed Ordinance Sunday together that this is the time period in Christ's life identified as the Perean ministry. This would have been the time that spanned from really the last week of our December all the way up until the week of Christ's passion. We know that the Lazarus narrative or the Lazarus resurrection event is placed more closely, even from the language of this little story, to the time of the Feast of Dedication. So this would have been probably early to mid, maybe late January of our calendar year, after Jesus' life was threatened at the Feast of Dedication, which is commonly known today as Hanukkah, as we studied in chapter number 10. We want to remind everyone, especially those of you who are guests, that we're studying the book of John together this year, and the theme of this book is both theological and evangelistic. He wrote so that souls would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the theological component of the theme of John. But in believing this... They might have life through his name. That's the evangelistic component of the theme of this book. And so we come to chapter 11 now, and we again see this theological and evangelical, if you will, theme realized once again. Two bold statements that we looked at last week briefly one in verse 4 and one in verse 25, as well as one supporting statement of Jesus' divinity in verse 11 are all self-proclamations of his divine nature. Similar statements incited hostility toward him at the Feast of Dedication when he proclaimed that he and his Father are one. By the time we come to the end of Lazarus' narrative, we'll see once again an official and successful process to have Jesus arrested. It leads up to the week of his passion And we know that this is on the horizon as we end our time in the book of John together. Each time Jesus proclaims his deity, we need to understand that it's set before those around him, both saved and unsaved, an opportunity. For those who knew Jesus, it's set before them an opportunity to have their theology grown. Their faith increased on the doctrinal side. And for those who did not believe it set before them an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the son of God and and to be born again throughout the Lazarus narrative in verse 14 and verse 27 and then in verse 45 you'll see both believers and unbelievers have their opportunity to have their faith grown or an opportunity to just simply be born again and believe. The great resurrection and the life is Jesus. He proclaims such in verse 25 by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He has the power over death and the grave by his own resurrection. And I trust by the time we get done studying this very long chapter, if you've not yet believed on Jesus in a saving way, you will be convinced to do so at its conclusion. Again, this narration or this narrative tells of the story of the seventh sign or miracle of the Gospel of John. It's a sign that is connected with the one great I am statement of the book. Some would say the greatest of the great I Am's. I don't know how you can get greater than the great I am, but he says here, I am the resurrection and the life. This one thing I would also like us to see. The Lazarus story is as equally divine and human a narrative that you'll ever read in the Gospel of John. While the divinity of Jesus as the Son of God has been and will be highlighted throughout the whole passage, I'd like us to take a moment, quite a few moments, today and learn something of Jesus the man as he loved and cared for this saved family in the town of Bethany who is very special to him. You're familiar with two bold statements in the New Testament that declare the exclusive pure humanity of Jesus. One's in 1 Timothy 2, right? There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. A definite article there proclaiming his pure and total humanity. You're also aware of 1 John chapter 2, there where Jesus is called our human advocate. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the perfect narration of God himself to you and to me and certainly to the folks in this text but just for the sake of reminder chapter 10 concludes with Jesus ending his public ministry and coming to the region where John the Baptist faithfully preached the gospel and baptized he's near a town called Bethany when he receives word from that Lazarus is sick and he also receives the letter by the hand of a messenger from a family in another Bethany. This one, as we said last week, just outside Jerusalem, about two miles on the road that leads to Jericho. As we begin to explore the beautiful humanity, the pure, loving, compassionate humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we need to understand a little bit greater context of this book, both culturally. And I would say Maybe even, even grammatically. And as we dive deeper, I think we need to understand uh, that this town, Bethany, uh, both where Jesus is staying, uh, Bethany uh, about a day and a half journey from the town of Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters live, um, just simply means house of the poor. Both towns would have received their town. Name because of their financial demographic. (laughs) How would you like to live in a town today called Bethany? And every time someone drew it, this is where the poor people live. And boy, you can tell. The Bethany of Lazarus, where the seventh sign of John takes place, uh, still has a place of tradition that's marked where Jesus performed this miracle. Maybe you've been to the Holy Land and maybe you've visited this place. And as a matter of fact, uh, this little town, once called Bethany, I believe, is still named or had been renamed as the town of Lazarus uh, because this uh, miracle event of this seventh sign. Uh, remain very literal and true, uh, very real, even to those who never came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, um, popular enough to have been sustained as the town of Lazarus ever since. But nonetheless, I'd like to just explore this morning, uh, again, while this text certainly discusses three particular times, the divine nature by Jesus' own self-proclamations. I'd like to really study uh, much here of his humanity uh, and particularly examine his relationship with this sweet little family in this town. I think there's much to be learned here for all of us. I'd like to just study the people that are mentioned in the order in which they're mentioned. We have Lazarus, and then we have Mary and Martha, and then we have uh, the disciples here and I think there's something of Jesus' again human relationship with each that we can learn what about this certain man named Lazarus verse 1 that's what he's called a certain man was sick Lazarus of Bethany his Old Testament name would have been Eliezer New Testament Lazarus it simply means one who is protected by God We know of two men in the Gospels named Lazarus, one poor man who died and went to Abraham's bosom, while the rich man of the same story, when he passed, went to eternal destruction. The poor man of this text story, Lazarus, is not the same Lazarus as the story we have here in John 11. As a matter of fact, there's no other Gospel writer that writes of the Lazarus narrative. And so, this particular Lazarus was a very certain man. This was a man that stood on his own in this town apart from identification with any other Lazarus or Eliezer of the Scriptures. Verse 3 simply says this, the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is sick. So, it is interesting that while the gospel writer names Lazarus, for our understanding, when Jesus receives the message from the sisters, his name's not included, but he is identified as one whom Jesus loves. This is the first really emotive Moving statement of the narrative that draws attention to the pure humanity of Jesus. The Greek word here for love is phileo. In the New Testament, it's the designation for deep love of friendship. And by the way, there's only a handful of souls who relate to Jesus, the man who have been designated by Jesus as ones he loves in this deep friendship manner. It's a tremendous reminder to each of us that though Jesus is the very narration of God, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, Paul says in Colossians 2, seven and eight, he's also fully human and he feels as we feel. He had human, pure needs as we have human, pure needs in every way imaginable or possible. His friend Lazarus is sick. This moves Jesus deeply. Indeed, Jesus can be and is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In every way, he was tempted as we are yet without sin. And this truth grants us confidence, even To back up a bit, to to boldly approach God in prayer through him in every spiritual and practical way possible, Jesus is our divine human advocate. So as we move on, Jesus has a best friend, if you will. Later, we find him lounging back and kicking up his feet with Lazarus in the house of Simon. Jesus, the man, needed friends who would accept him for who He was. Hang on with me here. What do we mean by that? Jesus, remember, by this time, is a known outcast in his community and even from most of his own biological family, especially the siblings. The whole nation of Israel, including the religious sector, had utterly forsaken him and had sought to kill him. We know John chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own what? Didn't even receive him. There's no warm greeting here. Jesus is not welcome among his own people and his own family. But where did he find a friend who would accept him for who he was? How many of you know how important spiritual friends are to you when you have become the The spiritual and practical outcast of all those who would call you friend or family. How important does that one person or handful of people really become to us? And though his disciples loved him and followed him, there was always a sense of having to lead and instruct them. And that's good, but. There's a certain man named Lazarus of Bethany, an eyewitness to the sufferings and persecutions of Christ up to that time, even during the festival celebration of the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and he still remains a close confidant and companion whose heart and door to his home is always open to Jesus. No strings attached. Jesus loves him because he's loved by Lazarus. His relationship is quite unique and quite special. The text goes on to explain Jesus' relationship with his sisters. The sincerity of their sisters is, is certainly discussed here and qualified for us here. So there's a certain man named Lazarus, but then there's the sincerity or the sincere sisters who loved Jesus and he loved them. Mary and Martha, John mentions, are the sisters also of Bethany. We've heard of these sisters before in the other three gospels. It was Mary who had anointed Jesus and washed his feet with her hair. Verse two, John tells us that. The other three gospel writers mention this incident, I've already said. John mentions it too, so all four gospel writers mention Mary anointing Jesus and washing her, his feet with her hair. John mentions it in the next chapter that we'll study in chapter 12, which might make you ask, why does he mention the incident as historical then later in real time of his own memory in his own gospel. We have to remember, folks, that, that John wrote some 30 to 35 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The incident remains of high importance to John, so he includes it later in chapter 12 that we'll preach on. But here in chapter 11, he mentions this in a unique way in order to identify which Mary was being discussed. Or taught about in this Lazarus story. You say why is that a big deal? Well there's a lot of Mary's in the Gospels, right? The name Mary is so popular because it comes from the Old Testament name Miriam. The name would remain high on the most popular name for girls list if you will, throughout all of Jewish history for Miriam was the sister of Moses who hid him in the bulrushes for protection. Miriam was the sister of the meekest man on all the earth Jesus identified him as Moses. And at the time, who had led the children of God out of bondage of Egypt, Miriam became quite a romantic name in history, if you will. It became a very easy name to choose for any couple that would have a daughter as their child. So John designates by mentioning the washing of Jesus' feet with her hair incident so everyone knows which Mary this is and which Mary this was not. And he goes on in verse 5 to say this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John continues to inform us of the sincere and pure humanity of Jesus and his relationship to the whole family. Mentioned here in the text, Jesus' band of faithful souls who receive this designation of being loved grows here by two. Only this time, he uses the divine term for love, agape. Both words for love here are intentional; both are used interchangeably for sure. But there was a there was certainly a deep human affection for this family. And this family had been loved by God with an everlasting love. This was a saved family who happened to be wonderful friends with our Savior. So it's easy to assume here that all three are born-again people. And Jesus' loyalty to them was both divine and human. So Mary is mentioned here first in verse 2 to identify her as the proper Mary. So why is Martha mentioned without Mary being mentioned properly in verse 5? Well, most people believe that Martha was probably the eldest of the three children, certainly older than Mary. And so in this particular culture, she would have been honored as the eldest by being mentioned first. Regardless, the message to Jesus informing him of Lazarus' illness is is a precious message. And it speaks a lot of these two ladies' respect for Jesus. Their message, verse 3, that we've already read says, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. This message truly comes from true friends. Lord is just simply a, a term of respect. They're not referencing his divinity here, but uh, a human man that they highly respect, later to call him rabbi in the text as well. It says, behold, that would have let him know that he's really sick. This is an urgent matter. And we're just informing you, Jesus. Him whom you loved or love is sick. And we're just letting you uh, understand this. I think it's important for us to know they knew where to find Jesus. They knew where to mail the letter to or have the messenger take the letter to. There's no expectation placed upon Jesus by the sisters to jump and come to their side. I want you to hear the elements of genuine friendship here, genuine love. There's no demands on the table for Jesus at all. They just want him to know as a friend that their really good friend is really sick. Hang on to that. They knew Jesus' ability to heal without being present, they did not expect him to come. Some of you that know this narrative, well, you're probably jumping ahead to two statements, both Mary and Martha, speak of later. We're gonna address that, where they both say, if you would have been here, then Lazarus would not have died. There's only two ways you can take that statement, and we'll discuss it in just a little bit. They respect the ministry load that his Perean ministry has brought upon Jesus. If you go back with me to chapter 10 and verse 42, what is it saying there? As he returned to the place of John the Baptist's ministry as he escaped the stoning of the religious leaders at the Feast of Dedication, as he was ministering there, many believed in him there. Folks, when someone gets born again, let alone one, let alone many, how much ministry responsibility does it take for he and his disciples to begin to shepherd all of those people? And remember, they're encountering or they're re-encountering all those hundreds of people that were probably born again during John the Baptist's ministry as well. This is a heavy ministry load, and I think I want you to see, I'm pretty sure I want you to see that there's no ministry demands placed upon Jesus to come because they knew he was already burdened with so much. They were respecting him as a friend who was fully man and fully God. They just want him to know that his really good friend is, is ill. There's a deep maturity to the relationship Jesus had with these three siblings. There's a possibility their parents were never saved, therefore never mentioned, or they had already passed on, and the focus remains on these three. But there was a depth of relationship, not just acquaintance, not just broad familiarity with these three this relationship was so deep that later in the chapter, two times as I mentioned earlier, both Martha and first Martha first and Mary second said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, our brother would not have died. You see it first in verse 21 and again in verse 32, Mary declares the same thing. I don't believe these, these statements were, were ones of fear or some type of regret or some type of disappointment in Jesus. Both sisters declared them at a different times from their own hearts as bold statements of conviction. They knew what Jesus could do. They'd seen him in action, so to speak. Apparently, they discussed in depth the previous miracles together in their own home. They were completely settled with who he was and what he could do. So the two declarations are statements of worship, not insecure words of fear and regret. When they see him, it's kind of like, yeah, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died because you'd have healed him, but you didn't. So now you're here so that the glory of God can be seen. It wasn't like, oh, if you'd have been here, then he wouldn't have died. No, 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 no. These women by this time had come to a, a much stronger place in their relationship with Jesus one of deep trust and commitment for they knew who he was as the son of God and, and as their friend. I do trust in time we'll all come to the place in our lives where we love Jesus this much. That regardless the tragedy in our own lives, we can rest in, in his sovereignty to, to make the right call, if you will in any life circumstance for his own glory and and for our good. That's hard. I've been in emergency rooms with parents in the auditorium whose children or child has just died. I've been in birthing rooms some of you and your stillborn children I've been with my wife a long time we just celebrated 32 years of marriage this past week and we've been together as my daughter pointed out for just south of 40 years (laughs) and I can remember the, the tragic news as many of you know of her own mom being killed by a drunk driver on the way to her college graduation. We endure these things. Together we, as First Peter tells us, chapter 5, we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. We entrust ourselves to a sovereign control of all these things. We do as Peter tells us to do and By God's grace in 1 Peter 4.19, we entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while we continue to do good things. We say and we proclaim, we pray that God is good and he's good all the time. These are difficult words for us to state when we're going through the most unique hardships of our personal existence. Some of you have gone through very grievous times that aren't related to physical death. Some things have been enacted upon you that makes no sense. They cause you to grieve in the most guttural way. Certainly there's no human, not even a, maybe a Mary, a Martha, or a Lazarus that can entertain your pain. But Jesus can. You have an indwelling spirit who intercedes for you, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, when you're in so much pain that you can't even speak words of prayer to God. He intercedes with you with groanings that you cannot even utter. But for Mary Martha, Martha, in this text, they do have Jesus present with them. And even in the time of their deepest pain, they've lost a brother who is much more than just a brother. He was a friend of Christ, yes, but even more than that, these three had walked faithfully with the other small band of followers with Jesus throughout all of his most difficult times in life. This was a great loss. A man was lost, leaving two ladies behind who are much more vulnerable to attack by way of persecution without the protection of their brother. We have to understand the context here. These ladies were in trouble, and yet they boldly proclaim what they know to be true about Jesus as God, but, but Jesus as pure humanity as well. I think we all need to appreciate the relationship, again, that Jesus had with Lazarus and his sisters I do believe we need to value what this family of Bethany was to Jesus so that we can be that to one another. Multiple times the gospel writer John, who never refers to himself by name in the whole book, references himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Most often the word love in that self-description used by John is the Greek word agapao, but I believe once it's translated as phileo. When they're used in the same context like this, two different words, they go hand in hand. They represent one for the other. John recognized himself as one who had been loved by God in a salvific sense, but he was also loved by Jesus in the human sense. For some reason, and I believe it to be certainly good, even Jesus had among his disciples... And community, certain ones that related to him in deeper friendship ways. And the Bible lets us know who they were. We all know he had a deep love for his mother, Mary. He expressed this while hanging on the cross, where he says to John, the disciple whom he loves, to care for her upon his departure. John obliges. Jesus doesn't even ask his own brothers to do this because they have not even believed on him as the son of God as of yet. So sometimes even God's people take responsibilities that are usually biological in nature of our siblings because there's a heightened level of familiarity. Our our friendship, our human relationships are heightened because of that which we've done in believing on Jesus Christ as the son of God. And there comes a trustworthiness with that. I know we all would love to have the highest regard for our family members and we would love to be regarded as such by them, but God in His mercy grants to us certain love relationships among His people that are tailor made just for me and tailor made just for you. It might be just one person. The scriptures mention four for Jesus, five if you include His mother, and He's the creator of the universe. And one is now dead, Lazarus, so he's temporarily down to four. Nonetheless, the Bible records for us this truth about the life of Jesus. I believe God would have someone in this context, as I've already said, for all of us. For, for those of you who are married, your spouse can certainly and, and, and tangibly and, and rightly fit this love category for you. There may be no one else for you other than your spouse. I don't know. It could be. If they don't, then Jesus would love to fill that void in your life. Jesus was never married. He had John and the friendship with this family of Bethany outside of his biological family. He had a deep friendship. With these four souls. I also think it's critical for us to see when and how these good friends connect. The when is in deep crisis often, certainly in casual fellowship and intentional fellowship opportunities, but in the context deep crisis, the how is with kindness and deep respect We mentioned earlier that the sisters didn't place a ministry demand upon Jesus. They assumed he was about the will of his father and ministering the good news of himself to those in his pre and ministry. There's a manifest reality for all of us to observe. When the sisters just informed Jesus, they do so again, knowing he would want to know, but also knowing he's pursuing gospel work. True, genuine, close, tight friends assume this. Even in the midst of crisis. All our Christian relationships are about the spread of the gospel. Deep, loving relationships of this kind should uniquely be about the advancement of the cause of Christ. It's clear to see that Jesus' relationship with this family of Bethany was about the advancement of salvation. All involved were in sync with the other on this, there was no circumstance in life that couldn't be handled well enough because their goal was the advancement of eternal things. In our context, Grace Church of Mentor, where can these friends be found? These friends that are truly familiar with the, the pluses and the minuses of our humanity but, but can just love us. Through thick and thin, because we all know we're about one why. Where where can they be found? And they should as they should be found in our local church. You may have found someone special like this before you even came to Grace Church. They still remain that person for you, possibly. You may still deeply relate with that person, and you may always will. But for some here, that person may only be your spouse, and that's good, and that's fine. That that's more than some have for sure. But we don't, through some rite of passage, only have this right to this relationship through the context of marriage. I would encourage all of you to pray the Lord leads you to someone who can understand you the way Jesus understood and was understood by this sweet family who lived a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. As you pray, I would encourage you to find this person or persons in the context of serving the people of God within our local church unto eternal purposes. I would encourage you to prayerfully consider finding this person or persons in the context of disciple making Jesus found John there the disciple whom Jesus loved I would say this person may be found while you partner in a collective gospel outreach into our community Pastor Mike mentioned earlier with the Menish City Fest Maybe you might find that spiritual soulmate, so to speak, in the context of that gospel outreach. Possibly this friend you could even lead to Christ. Some of you have special, special friends, uniquely because you've developed that friendship out of having seen one or the other come to know Christ. I don't know. But John's gospel does detail five people who were especially close to the humanity of Jesus, the Son of God. These especially close ones aren't perfect. A simple reading of the gospels alone will tell you the failures of some of the closest ones to Jesus, but their wrongs or their inadequacies didn't define them or their relationships because each had a higher purpose for their existence we've already preached upon relationships truly centered on Jesus and his purpose are always quick to mend and move forward, if they're not quick to mend it's not about the gospel it's about the individual There's never an expectation of one that benefits the other in these deep relationships. Their love is unidirectional, unifocused, if you will. There's never an, exception, an expectation of reciprocation. I'll serve if you serve. I'll give if you give. We just move because the cause of Christ is that important. Where there's genuine love relationship, you'll discover reciprocity is just natural. It doesn't have to be discussed much at all. But in times of deep conflict and grief, the very presence and not the words of those closest to us ministers the greatest to our souls, and we'll discover that in the weeks ahead in this context. When someone is grieving in the deepest way, just just know the best way to minister to them if you're not that friend to them is to just sometimes be there present and and just be silent and understand in the midst of that company the spirit of God is afoot ministering without you even saying a word when people grieve Certainly we need the Lord. Certainly we need to understand the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Certainly we need the scriptures. Certainly we need to follow the model of our Savior and how he loved. But in this context, certainly we need spirit-filled ones who love us and that we love. And in addition to that, God even gives us the broader company of this flock. Some of the people that have grieved here over a very tragic loss in the last few years have had some very well-intentioned people walk up to them that aren't this kind of description that we're looking at here between Jesus and and, and Lazarus and his sisters. And they've walked up to someone that they know and they're familiar with but don't have this deep relationship. And it could be the loss of a daughter or son. It could be any kind of tragedy like that. And they'll walk up and they'll, they'll say, I'm praying for you. And, and by the way, here's a Bible verse that, that I think will encourage you. And, and I think they do it with all the right motives in the word, but the methodology can be a little bit scant. <laughs> right? um, certainly we need the word. Certainly we need reminders that people are praying for us. But to, to walk by and to just gingerly hand someone a Bible verse as if it's some type of medical prescription that will heal them if they just read it and leave it at that with a word of prayer It's kind of shallow and actually clear as ice and kind of really just as cold when you do that you're not assuming certain things that are already happening which I've already stated which is this individual who's going through this grief and this tragedy has already been communing with God They've already been enjoying the indwelling intercession of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you they're already clinging to scripture passages because they have to in order to survive. I guarantee you there's probably that one special, maybe more than one special person like Jesus had in his life that's spoken into their lives. So while you see them weeping and grieving and having a hard time keeping their heads up, If you want to be with them, just be with them and stay quiet and understand again that the Holy Spirit is afoot doing his divine work. And appreciate that maybe you're not designed by God to be that exact person, to be that Mary, Martha, or Lazarus for them and be okay with that. But I do believe God would have at least one, as I've already stated, for each of us where we can enjoy this love relationship together. Jesus' deep relationship with these three siblings of Bethany is most clear. But Jesus, the man, is still not done ministering to his immediate followers either. And we'll We'll discuss and preach his ministry to his own disciples in these 16 verses next Sunday. All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We we thank you. We worship you as our creator, as James says in chapter 1. We worship you because you are the father of lights, the father of creation, and you have... You you are the giver of every good gift. And we've spoken this morning from this text, both of divine and practical gifts, and you are the the gifter. We trust, Lord, that this passage can be received as as it's read, the plain reading of it. And hopefully the more clear explanation of this narrative, I I pray that each one of us can draw the circle around our own hearts and lives and we can begin to enjoy our walk with you unto eternal purpose with at least one other person in our life that gets us. Lord, if there's one here this morning that doesn't feel that they have that I I pray that they would be compelled to begin bringing this need before you personally and I pray that they would discuss this need with us as pastors and maybe even their discipler there is divine intentionality oh God I believe it's in the text there's a reason why there were five people that were listed having this type of intimate relationship with our Savior. I think there's something to be learned from that. Just give us wisdom, Lord, as how we approach this going forward. Lord, especially as we become more and more intentional about our whole gospel work here, in our Jerusalem and then into Judea and Samaria in our uttermost parts, it's it's abundantly clear as Jesus progresses towards the week of his passion, and one of these intimate ones with him is gone. It it, it brings a very severe reality to their lives because the more we advance, the more persecution may or will come, and and we're going to need this this connection if you will Lord you know that so since we see that here within the context and since we're moving forward in gospel purpose I pray as we enjoy the fellowship of the whole flock even as we do tonight at the church picnic with intentionality and we do in our evening fellowship groups with intentionality within the intentional worship and fellowship of all of us together which is absolutely a divine need in our lives, I pray that you would grant to us, if they're not already there, someone that can walk with us in eternal purpose, lucidly, in a spirit-filled way, unto objective, divine, eternal reason. We thank you again for the model of our Savior whose life we seek to replicate in the way we live. In his precious name we pray. Amen.